Hello and welcome to Triple Bladed Sword, the podcast that looks at the science fiction, fantasy, and horror we read, watch, and play. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Pershawn. I teach English literature and film studies at McEwen University, and this podcast is where I share my research and ramblings about books, films, and games set in impossible and improbable worlds. This episode is part of a series called Office Hours, devoted to the sort of meandering, reflective, and fun conversations I have with students who drop by my office to say hello. This week I'm imagining a conversation with a student who asks me if I've heard that they're making a new Dungeons & Dragons movie, and the answer to that question is, yes, I have heard. This new Dungeons & Dragons movie, not to be confused with the 2000 uh, box office critical blunder, Um, with Jeremy Irons, which is incidentally so bad that when I was teaching Dungeons & Dragons as part of one of my courses, I had the movie on e-reserve for my students, and uh, the discussion question for that week was, how far did you get before you just shut it off? And some students didn't, you know, they'd get five minutes in, and they're like, it's just, it's that bad. It's that bad. It's not even at some level so bad it's good, it's just bad. But this new Dungeons & Dragons movie is going to be directed by Game Night's Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who were also writers for the new D&D film. And that's super encouraging to me, because if you haven't seen Date Night, it's funny. Uh, It has a lot of inside sort of game references. Uh, It feels geeky. I think it's just the right tone for what a D&D movie needs to be. I think anyone who wants a sort of Game of Thrones tone for their Dungeons & Dragons movie would be missing the boat completely. Uh, Some of the people who are associated with the film in terms of cast, uh, Chris Pine of Star Trek fame, Michelle Rodriguez of Fast and Furious fame, uh, Reggae Jean Page, who was in the recent hit series, romantic series, quasi-Victorian series, Bridgerton. And reportedly starring as the villain, Hugh Grant, which I'm digging because, again, uh, you know, that says to me that this film isn't taking itself too seriously. There are even a few photos floating about the Internet that are, you know, glimpses of what uh, the costumes look like, what the actors look like in their costumes. It looks to me like Michelle Rodriguez is playing a barbarian, uh, which I'm excited about. I, you know, she does ferocity so well. Um, so I'm, I'm digging that. And the plot synopsis uh, involves some references to one of Dungeons & Dragons' longest-running uh, settings, which is the Forgotten Realms. And I know that a lot of D&D fans will be super excited that they're going to be sticking, I guess, to somebody's form of canon in this regard. Of course, there's going to be uh, all sorts of D&D fans who are you know, outraged that it's not in Greyhawk or that it's not taking place in Eberron or something like that. But most of the the um, content, be it in the games or novel form of the last really 20 years, have been focused heavily on the Forgotten Realms. And am I excited about this movie? Yes, absolutely. As I say, I'm I'm excited because I think from what I can see here, the creative team is a group of people who know how to mix comedy and light action. And I think uh, the, the right tone for Dungeons & Dragons is always a sort of action comedy thing, like the new Ghostbusters movie or Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor Ragnarok, where you can have epic battles and one-liners and... And, you know, comments about going for pizza all in one long running move. Uh, 
When I was teaching Dungeons and Dragons as part of one of the courses that I taught, it was for a course on cross-media studies, where we were looking at adaptation, the very content that's in the headliner of this podcast, you know, the science fiction, fantasy, and horror that we read, watch, and play. And in the course, we looked at all sorts of transpositions from one mode of engagement, one medium to another. So books to film, film to game, game to film, game to book, um, that sort of thing. And Dungeons and Dragons was was part of this course because in some ways the original you know, the the very premise of Dungeons and Dragons, the dungeon crawl, the exploration of some subterranean space filled with monsters harkens back to the Mines of Moria sequence from Lord of the Rings. So we read that part of Tolkien's novel from Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, we watched um, some of the you know, we watched part of the Bakshi animated film, we watched the sequences from Peter Jackson's adaptation of Lord of the Rings, and then we went to playing Dungeons and Dragons. And all of this led to asking my students the question, why do you think there are so few good game adaptations in film? Specifically, you know, video game adaptations, because we really don't have a lot of board game adaptations, but why is it that a game doesn't move over to film well when you can, you know, from time to time get a decent game out of a film? We had looked at the Star Wars Lego games. In fact, we used the Lego games as, as how to, you know, compare a number of, of adaptations from film. But this had led to this discussion, you know, why don't we get good video game adaptations? And what I have a I sort of I have a theory about this, and it's that um, when people make adaptations of games, we and let's look at that term as broadly as we can, including sports as games. When people make adaptations of games, but they only include the story world of the game, something you know like a video game. Is there potentially an aspect of what made the gameplay super enjoyable missing from the experience that, say, like sports films still include? Because sports films, you know, we, we, add it, we adapt a game frequently into narratives involving the game. But the difference between a sports movie and a video game movie is that in the sports movie, you see people playing the game. And in the video game movie, you just see the avatars inside the world. And what I think this does is it removes an illusion, or not an illusion, but something that our mirror neurons fire on if we enjoy sports. And we're watching a movie that's about sports, then we connect with the experience of the football player, the baseball player. My parents are big baseball fans. They love to play baseball and they love baseball movies. And to me, this is because what they do when they watch that movie is that they engage in a moment of fantasy, their mirror neurons fire and they look at that and they go, that's me. I can eat, you know, I can relate to that experience, etc. Um, whereas when a video gamer watches the Silent Hill movie or the Resident Evil movie or Prince of Persia, Persia, all they're seeing is an avatar, and it could be anyone's avatar. And when they played the video game, absolutely, they were that person. 
but now the 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 moment of interactivity has been stolen from us it's invisible to us even you know in a movie like doom where they tried to emulate first person perspective it's still not watching the play and i'm convinced that i'm right about this because of critical role now if you've been under a rock and you don't know what critical role is critical role is a, a streaming web series where a bunch of voice actors play dungeons and dragons now, the show started back in 2015, and at this point, it has hundreds of thousands of fans. And it is credited as having bolstered the recent success of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, evidence of their success is that there was an official book made by Wizards of the Coast, the people who produce Dungeons & Dragons, that is in the world of Critical Role. Um and apparently they have a deal with Amazon Prime to make a TV show of the content. Now, I say critical role, but I'm speaking generally of other shows like Harmon Quest, of other streaming uh, series. My favorite instance of these is Deborah Ann Wool's Relics and Rarities. I just like the way she runs games. I think she's a great dungeon master. But it was the success of shows like Critical Role, like Harmon Quest, the fact that those existed at all and that they were growing was evidence to me that my theory was correct. You couldn't make a decent Dungeons & Dragons movie to save your life, but YouTube streaming channels where people watch people play Dungeons & Dragons were becoming immensely popular. And you just have to think about the number of hours you invest in watching a show like this. There's like over 100 episodes of one season of Critical Role, and every one of those episodes is, say, two to three hours long. That's a lot of time to invest. And yet I knew people who were binge-watching this series. There was a bit of a sort of backlash from the D&D &D community because all these people who just watch Dungeons & Dragons aren't real D&D &D fans, which made me laugh because I think about, you know, professional sports. All these people who watch football aren't real football fans. It's a ridiculous argument. But I think that the success of those shows is due to what is connected to a great adaptation of a gaming property. Like, it's not to say that, you know, you can't adapt something from just within the diegesis, the world, the fictional world of that game. Because if that were true, then, you know, I would have to stare down stacks of Forgotten Realms novels, you know, R.A. Salvatore's novels of Dritzt um, are, would be staring me in the face going, well, that's clearly not true. But arguably, print is a different medium in that regard. I mean, the, the space where we're, we've seen a lack of successful adaptation for a game like Dungeons and & Dragons and for, very, for a number of video games is, the, is, is in film. And, you know, the Dungeons & Dragons Saturday morning cartoon notwithstanding, which I know some people are divided about, but I, I loved it when I was a kid, and I still have a huge amount of nostalgia for it. No, it wasn't a perfect representation of role-playing games, but honestly, we didn't really have a cohesive picture of what Dungeons & Dragons was or what its world was in the 1980s in a way that could really have generated a cartoon that would have had that cohesion. 
But I think that stuff like Critical Role, stuff like Harmon Quest, stuff like Relics and Rarities, uh, watching celebrities play Dungeons and Dragons at D&D Live, which, by the way, is happening today virtually. The reason that's all successful is because our mirror neurons pick that up. If we're gamers and we play Dungeons and Dragons, we're enjoying watching someone else play it. Now you might say, well, then why is it that people who have never played Dungeons and Dragons before like watching Critical Role? I think because the performers are telling a great story that they become invested in the narrative aspect of it. But for gamers, the reason that game narrative doesn't translate over well to the screen is when the illusion of interactivity is removed. So in other words, if the, if the film doesn't portray the game itself, I think it's harder for fans of the game to really love the adaptation. So my idea, I've had an idea for years of a great D&D movie, and Jumanji basically did it. The recent Jumanji film with Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart and Jack Black and Karen Gillan is effectively my D&D movie in, with, a, with an imaginary game. Um, my idea for a D&D movie was to take the cast to some degree of the Saturday morning cartoon from the 1980s the, the characters from that and to make them the fantasy world equivalents of a group of teenagers who, a la The Breakfast Club, another 1980s uh, culture product, a film directed by John Hughes, uh, and to have the, the very the plot of The Breakfast Club is, you know, a whole bunch of kids end up in uh, teenagers end up in detention together. And then by the end of the day, even though they have no connection to each other, they form these really strong friendships, which, uh, you know, as someone who lived through the 80s, I was sort of sitting there going bullshit. But, um, but when I think about what I've seen at a and d table is, yeah, you can you can forge some friendships between people who wouldn't normally associate with each other. So my idea for this would be that you start the movie out as an as a sort of breakfast club homage, and then the movie shifts over to the fantasy world. So the the guy who's running the detention, instead of being a you know a total disinterested, dismissive dick uh, who has no love for these kids who he is a you know he's their teacher um, instead of having that have this this you know cool teacher who really loves his work or her work and loves working with teens in fact let's get Deborah Ann Wool to play that part what do you think um, and uh, she comes in and she says okay everyone we're all stuck in here together today for you know however long it's going to be uh, I have something that I want us to do and unveils Dungeons and Dragons and of course the jock would roll his eyes and the really really cool badass guy would be like ah oh, you gotta be kidding me and the, the super popular girl would be ah, pop a pop you know chew her bubble gum and pop the bubble um, but the nerdy kids would be like oh my gosh this is so exciting uh, I've totally played this you know the Anthony Michael Hall character from the original Breakfast Club would be stoked. And they all sit down and they begin to play. And their play reveals things about them. And, and in, over the course of the Breakfast Club, they share stuff about what's really going on in their life. And you could still have that happen, um, but it would happen in between the gaming sessions. Once we move to the gaming sessions and you have a completely different cast, you could take all of the people who are currently <laughs> involved in the Dungeons & Dragons movie and drop them in as the avatars for these kids 
And uh, and that was my idea for a Dungeons and Dragons movie. And I, I thought it would be a great idea, number one, because it would check the nostalgia box that a lot of D&D fans would want. It would also check off a nostalgia box because the D&D cartoon was one of the most popular cartoons during its run. It, it was not a lackluster success. It did really well in its spot uh, over the course of its run. Not the entire thing. It wasn't, you know, the most famous cartoon during its time, but it it's also not some obscure piece of um, pop culture esoterica from the 1980s, as evidenced by a uh, recent car commercial, which is an homage to it's, it's for Renault's Renault. How do you say that car name? Uh, but it's uh, they they basically did a car commercial with the characters from that Dungeons and Dragons 80s cartoon and. I remember when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, it could be done. It would be beautiful. But of course, that's not what's being made. And I'm cool with that. I understand Jumanji has already done this thing. But I still I still think the concept is solid. And I also think not just for those nostalgic reasons, but because it would have that mirror neuron illusion of interactivity that we lose in the move from game to film. That the game is a highly interactive mode of engagement and film is a generally passive one. Whatever someone might say, I always got stu- always have students pushing back on this, going like, we are never just passive viewers. We are never just passive readers. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but you don't actually change the film or the text in the same way that you literally change outcomes when you're sitting at the role-playing table or if you're playing a really open-ended video game. So that's a pretty roundabout way of answering the question, Have I? am I, am I aware that there's a new Dungeons & Dragons movie that's going to be coming out? I am aware. And it's currently slotted, slated for a March... 2023 release. My birthday is in March, and I'm excited about that. I, I feel in some way that once again the universe is saying, Happy birthday, Mike. A Dungeons and Dragons movie is coming your way. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a comment, share it with a friend. I'm on Instagram both as Doc Pershon, P E R S C H O N, and as Triple Bladed Sword. You can follow my Facebook page, Triple Bladed Sword, teaching fantasy, science fiction, and horror. Finally, if you have something you'd like me to talk about in a future office hour, and we're running out of those because come this fall, I won't be doing office hours for a while, uh, leave a suggestion or a question in the comments and I'll do my best to get to it. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Mike Pershan, and this is Triple Bladed Sword.